Well, it's a great day to, to dig back in to Judges and uh, come to the culmination of the Samson saga. And last week we jumped into chapter 16 and we took a, a look at Samson wandering into Gaza and saw that he was blind to his weakness. And if you remember, he waltzed into uh, to Gaza. He saw this woman with his eyes that he desired. She was a prostitute. She went in He went in to be with her, and they laid an ambush all around the city, especially by the gates. He surprised them by leaving early, and as he left, he took with him a pretty large souvenir. The gate, all the, the surrounding parts of it, hoisted it on his shoulders, carried it off as many as 38 miles up 2,000 feet of hill, uh, in the snow, both ways, barefoot, with nothing... No, I'm just kidding. So Samson uh, is, is the guy. The Philistines don't care for him uh, for obvious reasons, and he has risen to the Philistines most wanted. And if we look back over his life, we can tell why. I mean, it started with he got, uh, he was married to this woman. He, uh, or he was marrying this woman. He had 30 groomsmen. He made up a riddle that no one could solve. They utilized his wife to get the answer. He got angry. He went and killed 30 Philistines to fulfill his uh, uh, debt that he owed these guys for solving the riddle. Uh, He went AWOL for a while, leaving his wife alone and his marriage unconsummated. He returned and realized the father had given away his wife to one of the groomsmen. So he felt like, hey, I'm now justified to take revenge. So he set their fields on fire, which had devastating effects. Well, later on, the Philistines, as they did some investigation, realized that uh, Samson was the cause of it. They confronted Judah. Judah said, you know what, let's go deal with him. They tried to turn him over to the Philistines, but as they saw him and mocked and jeered and and cheered that they thought they were finally going to be done with him, uh, the Spirit of the Lord empowered him, and he killed 1,000 of them with a jawbone. Well, then he went into Gaza, and he carried off their gates. He is the Philistines' most wanted man. And what we see uh, as we pick up chapter 16 is they are going to do whatever it takes to get rid of this thorn in their side named Samson. So we open it up, and we pick up where we went over last week, but I think we've got to go back and just recapture it quickly so that everybody is up to speed in case you have slept or maybe you weren't here last week. And in Judges chapter 16, starting in verse 4, it says this, After this it came about that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The lords of the Philistines came up to her and said, Entice him and see where his great strength lies and how we can overpower him that we may bind and afflict him. Then we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Samson has now set his eyes on this woman, the object of his affection and love. And where Samson sees in Delilah the love of his life, the Philistine lords see the opportunity of a lifetime. Because they know, they have seen in the life of Samson where he is weak. And last week we looked and saw that Samson was blind to his weakness. And this week we're going to see that weakness blind him. So the Philistine lords go to Delilah, the only woman of the four in the 
the Samson narrative that is named. His mother's not named. His wife isn't named. The prostitute isn't named. But the one that will lead to his demise and downfall, she is named. And her name is Delilah. Well, what do they have to offer? I mean, this is an important person. This is the top of their list. This is the thorn in their flesh. And they are willing to go all in to rid themselves of him. So they go to Delilah and they say, hey, we need some information about your love. And we are willing to each one of us give 1,100 pieces of silver. And if you were here last week or if you need a review, that is the equivalent of $22 million. And as I was talking to my wife, Anna, about this, I'm like, do you realize they bribed her with $22 million to betray her love? She goes, how much? I told him at uh, first service, you wouldn't like that joke, but I was still going to use it even if you were in, the, in, in here. Um, yeah, pray for me. Uh, a lot. It's a lot of money, and it's an offer she can't refuse. But this offer that she can't refuse, and the reason they go after her is because they know his weakness. And the application from last week is we need to know our weakness because our enemy does. If we are blind to our weakness, we are ripe for the pickings. If we don't know where our faith, where our walk with the Lord, where our holiness has gaps and isn't fortified, we are in a dangerous position because our enemy knows all of those places and looks to exploit them. And we apply that by saying we need community that pushes us towards Christ. And we need those two or three friends that we can confide deep and bring those areas of darkness into light and share with someone else and allow them to give us accountability and pray for us in that area to ask the Lord to make that area of weakness a strength through his power and his grace. We challenged us to to figure out what our weaknesses were because we know that our enemy knows them. I want you to, to look at these highlighted words because the Philistines' lords were very specific about what would get the bounty. They wanted to know where his strength was from. They wanted to be able to bind and afflict him. That's, that's the deal. $22 million for those three things. And I love how the next verse makes it sound like she left that meeting and went straight to Samson. Because she is pretty straightforward. So, because of that meeting with the Philistines, because of that deal she was making, Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength is and how, we might, how you might be bound to afflict you. She uses the exact same language that she has just received from the Philistine lords. She is bold and she is audacious to go, Hey, I need three pieces of information. And these are exactly how they were just relayed to me. I need to know where your strength is and how you can be bound and afflicted. And what's crazy to me is where I would have a whole bunch of questions for my love. Babe, why are we talking about this? Why do you care about my strength? Why? What? You want, 
to know how I can be bound and afflicted? Like, what's on your mind? Where I would have a ton of questions, Samson had an answer. And no questions. And what he says is, hey, if they bind me with seven fresh cords that have not been dried, then I become weak and like any other man. And here he is again, not caring about his Nazarite vows because these cords are made from dead animal guts. So he's saying, wrap me in something that makes me unclean and that will sap me of my strength. Delilah goes, okay, we got it. So she tells the lords of the Philistines and they provide the cords and they hide in the inner room and she binds him up with these cords. And then she plays a game that one of the commentators says, here comes the Philistines. She goes, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He snaps out of his sleep and snaps right through the cords, looking for a fight. And the narrator doesn't tell us that there was a fight or an altercation. And, and my guess is it's like in Gaza. As Samson's walking out with the gate, all those people that had been waiting for him are like, I ain't going. Nope. He's still, we haven't found his secret. His strength is not left, and I don't want any piece of that. And if probably Delilah's like, ha ha, gotcha, honey, come back to bed. And she's shooing those Philistines out of her home so that they can be safe. Well, now you've got to deal with the fallout. Because, again, if I'm Samson, I'm going, no, wait a minute. We had this conversation. Sure, I was having fun with you, but then you actually tried to bind me up in it. But Delilah speaks first. Behold, you had deceived me and told me lies. Now please tell me how you may be bound. If you remember the first one, she said, please. And how can we bind you and afflict you? And now she's still saying please. So she's being polite about her deception. She's accusing him of deceiving and lying. And now she's just focusing on what she really wants. How can, we, how can you be bound? Again, I would have questions. But old Samson boy, he just has answers. You know what? I said seven cords. What it really would take is some new ropes. And if you tie me real tightly, that's what will do it. That will make me weak and like any other man. And we're going to see this weak like any other man repeated. And it's as if Samson is saying, I am like no other man. But if you want one of them weak ones, this is what you do to me. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. For the men were lying in wait in the inner room. But he snapped the ropes from his arms like a thread. Again, the Philistines are present. But this time it's interesting that they didn't provide the ropes. In the last one, they provided the cords. They don't provide the ropes, but they're still present. But we still have the same result. Because Samson snaps out of his sleep and snaps the ropes like they were nothing. Again, no confrontation with the Philistines. They're like, nope, not until that strength is gone. Well, Delilah continues because she's got a goal, right? She's a goal-oriented woman. And she says, Samson, up to now you have deceived me and told me lies. Tell me how you may be bound. There's no more pleas. She is feeling it now. She is, is getting more and more desperate. So instead of please tell me, tell me 
how you may be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my hair with the web and fasten it with a pin, then I will become weak and like every other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his hair and wove them into the web. And she fastened it with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And again, he awoke, he pulled out the pin of the loom of the web. Samson broke loose, probably broke the loom, made a mess, and nothing changed. His strength, his secret were still secure, and his power still with him. And at this point, I I would have a lot more questions. I'd be like, babe, what's going on here? I'm starting to sense some tension. I'm starting to sense that you really do want to bind and afflict me. How much have you been offered? (laughs) Can we split it? But through these three acts, through these three scenes, I think we see the Philistines losing confidence in Delilah. Because in the first act, we see that they have provided the, the cords and they were present. In the second one, they are present but have no provision in it. In the third one, it doesn't talk about being, having any provision or presence. And it seems like they are losing confidence in Delilah. Meanwhile, if you look at Samson's responses, cords, ropes, hair, he's kind of going the opposite direction, isn't he? Because he's getting closer and closer to what really sets him apart. And in that third scene, he has her hands on his hair. Now, not cutting it yet, but he is playing with fire, isn't he? And he's about to get burned. But we also see in this Delilah, and she is getting more and more desperate. The first two, she's like, please tell, please tell. The next one, it's tell. But she is a smart woman because she is about ready to deploy the tactic that will lead to his downfall. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have deceived me these three times and have not told me where your great strength is. It came about when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death. (laughs) Don't Don't be elbowing each other. I mean, here, here it is. She's like, you know, I've been focused on how to get him bound. But what I need to do is tug on his heartstrings. I need to bring this to another level. It isn't just about this tactical thing. I need to manipulate him and go, don't you love me? I, you say you love me. But how can you love me and not share something so intimate in your life? How can we be soulmates if you won't bear your soul to me? And there's a chance Delilah knows this tactic will work. Because it is the same tactic Samson's wife uses to get the answer to the riddle. When she comes to Samson and says, why do you hate me? You haven't told me the answer to this riddle. And he's like, woman, I haven't even told my parents. And she's like, but... I thought you loved me. And she nagged him and nagged him until she got what she wanted. Delilah has found 
the way in. And she deploys the don't you love me tactic. And Samson cannot resist. The narrator says that his soul was annoyed to death. And that is an eerie foreshadowing of what is to come. So Samson, in response, he tells her all that was in his heart. And this is what he said. A razor has never come to my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I will be weak like any other man. And I can just picture Delilah with Samson in her arms, stroking his hair, saying, you know, you've got to share with me, baby. If we're going to make this thing work, if, if, if I'm, you really love me, you've got to share things with me. You've got to bear your soul to me. And it's almost like he's confessing. Okay, I haven't shared this with anyone, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you because you're like no one else in my life. And, and it's almost like he understands that this Nazarite vow that he's been set apart since he was in his mom's womb, he, his life has not shown that he has lived at all. And so he tells Delilah all that is on her his heart. And I can just see her going, I got it. I've got what I needed. Because as he's trying to be intimate and bonding with her, maybe to get out of the doghouse, maybe to get off the sofa, whatever reason, she is still focused on her mission. When Delilah saw that He had told her all that was on his heart. She sent and called the lords of the Philistines. Come, come up at once, for he has told me what is in his heart. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. They had been distancing themselves, not sure that Delilah could deliver. But when word comes to them that she believes that he has shared his whole heart, that she has the key to his strength, that she knows the information that they desire, they come a-running with hands full. And they are ready to pounce. An application from this part that I want to pause is, pursuing passion leads to compromise. Man, Samson is after love. And he's looking for love in all the wrong places. In that sensual desire, that passion of his, for the Philistine women, for women in general, is what drives him. And it leads him to compromise the one thing that sets him apart. And we need to understand that when our passions and our pursuits don't align with God's, with, with our, our God's, that is when we make compromises. We compromise our faith, we compromise our values, we compromise our community, we compromise our church, we compromise the things that are most important in this world. And we have to check our passions and pursuits against truth, against what the Lord desires for us and from us. So Delilah executes the plan, almost literally. She made him sleep on her knees. Just come here, baby, fall asleep. I just love you so much. 
And she called for a man and had him come shave off his locks. And she began to afflict him, and his strength left him. She said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as all the other times and shake myself free. This isn't a big deal. It's just like the other three times. I've got this. I can handle this. But what he didn't know is going to cost, cost him dearly. He did not know that the Lord had departed from him. God's empowering spirit had left. And he was left like any other man. And what a sad picture that is. Kenneth Way, one of the, the commentaries I read, and, and these guys just have such great insights, and I think it's worth looking at. Samson's foolish error is not that he had disclosed the secret of his strength per se. Instead, he foolishly presumes that he is invincible because God's power always seems to present regardless of his apathetic behavior. doesn't matter what I do. God's going to show up and clean it up. It's all good. I don't have to really live for him. I can do my own thing, and when I need him, he'll, he'll show up. He's like a genie in a bottle. He probably thinks that the shaving will have no consequence since he frequently compromises his Nazarite status. I mean, God hasn't, I haven't had any consequences at this point. Why would I think this would be any different? So he rises not knowing the power of God's presence had left him. Barry Webb says this, The secret of his great strength lay in his hair because it lay in his Nazarite ship. His separation to God. To shave it off would be symbolically to symbolically cancel his Nazarite ship and make him weak like every other man. The compromise is going to cost him everything. And since he is like every other man, we can see because of what the narrator points out that the Lord is our true source of strength and victory. Where Samson feels like he can just go about his own way and his own strength and his own power and God's going to catch up and, and do his thing, we realize that no, without God, we don't have strength and we don't have victory. And that's why it's so important to find these areas of weaknesses, these blind spots in our lives, and in community, bring them to light, admitting where we are weak, and asking God to be our strength in those areas, fortifying our faith, our walk, and our holy living. Well, Samson is weak. He's just like anyone else. And the Philistines pounce. This time there is confrontation. This time they come out from hiding and they confront Samson. And they don't just confront him. They seize him and they gouge out his eyes. And they brought him back to Gaza. And if you remember, Gaza is where he took off the gate. He went in with his eyes wide open looking for love. And he left carrying the gate to leave them embarrassed and vulnerable. And now he returns to Gaza, blinded and bound, humiliated, unable to see that hole in the, in the wall where he had torn off the gate. And they bind him with bronze chains and they put him to work. And this work that they give him is the work of a woman or a slave. It is beneath him. It's humiliating to him, but it's exactly what the Philistines want him to do because it brings him down. 
He used to be the picture on the most wanted tablets that were distributed all around the post offices back in the day. And now look at him, blind, bound, and belittled. Samson has fallen. The narrator points out something that gives us hope. Ron was talking about hope in the midst of chaos, hope in the midst of all the the bad news that we get every single day. And the narrator, in the midst of this, you, you might think, hey, Samson is about ready to be on the out. This is the end. But the narrator puts one sentence in to say, God isn't finished yet. He says, however, the hair of his head began to grow again after it was shaved off. Something's going on there. God is not finished. Well, neither are the Philistines. Now the lords of the Philistines assembled to offer great sacrifices to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. For they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, Samson, they praised their God. Samson became an object of praise for their pagan God. For they said, our God has given our enemy into our hands, even the destroyer of our country, who has slain many of us. It so happened when they were in high spirits that they said, call for Samson, that he may amuse us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he entertained them, and they made him stand between the pillars. Samson becomes a spectacle. He becomes an object of ridicule. He becomes a picture of defeat. And they ascribe all of that praise to their pagan god, feeling like Dagon has given them victory. Dagon has overcome Samson and Samson's god. Samson has stained the name of Yahweh. And now he is standing in these columns to be ridiculed, belittled, and humiliated. And when they see him, they praise their God. A lot's going on in the news. A lot of bad things have happened, and it's all coming to light in a denomination in our country. And it's easy to point fingers and go, how dare you? I can't believe. But in, gosh, 20... Four years of ministry, I've come to understand we are all a few bad decisions away from being a public spectacle for our sins. And no one is immune. No one is above that. Whether it's pastors, lay leaders, businessmen, whoever, we are all just a few mistakes, a few bad choices, a few sinful choices away from being made a public spectacle and a black eye on our Lord. And that's where Samson is. Because they are worshiping their God, the Philistine God of grain, which is kind of ironic, isn't it? Because if you remember, one of the things Samson did was burned all their crops in affront to their God. And now they feel like Dagon has extracted his revenge on Samson. So they're giving a great sacrifice. They're declaring him victory over, uh, victor over Samson. They're praising him for defeating him. And in this party are over 3,000 people. 3,000 people attending this worship celebration of Dagon. And they're all on this balcony above him looking down, except for the rulers who are uh, right in front of him just being amused 
uh, at what Samson has become. They are all gathered for the spectacle, for the celebration. And what we see in this life of Samson that we don't want to see in our life, but it is true, is the consequence of sin and unfaithfulness is significant. The consequences of sin and unfaithfulness is significant. God is long-suffering. Samson has done a lot. And to this point, God has not punished him. But when the hair left, the empowerment left, and Samson is now uh, reaping what he has sowed and standing in the consequences of his sin. And you can play with fire like Samson did. But I guarantee you, it burns. Well, Samson, helpless and hopeless, does the only thing he has left. He can't see. He doesn't have his strength. But some of the hair has grown back. And maybe he's felt that hair and thought, I wonder if God would remember me. And so he calls out to the Lord, Oh, Lord, God, please remember me and strengthen me just this time. And as you read that, it's like, ha, finally, we see why we study him as kids. We see why we celebrate him as a hero. He's finally turning to the Lord. Unfortunately, he keeps talking. Oh, God, that I may once at once be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. Not for your glory, not because they're praising Dagon as greater than you, not to make your name great, but because I've been wronged. Give me that strength so I can get my revenge. This is how it plays out. I skipped some of the verses just for time. You can go in and read them. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bent with all of his might so that the house fell and the lords and all the people who were in it died. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed in his life. The gravitational pull of Samson to the Philistines is realized in his death as he says, you know what, let me die with them. And he pushes down the pillars because God empowers him with the strength and he kills the 3,000 spectators, the leaders of the town, as well as the lords of the Philistines, and in one fell swoop, decimates the leadership of the Philistines. And God fulfills his call on Samson's life to begin delivering the Israelites from the Philistines who dominate the land. It is just crazy that God's purposes supersede self-focused followers. He still uses Samson. As Samson's seeking revenge, as Samson is still all about Samson, God says, my purposes will not be hindered because of your self-focus. And he brings down the walls. And he starts to do what he said he would do through Samson, which is begin to deliver the people of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. A couple quotes from, oh, well, this one's from me, sorry. The tragedy of the Dagon scene 
is Samson's life could have been spent in a way to bring praise, honor, and worship to Yahweh. Yet because of his unfaithfulness, people see him and praise another. And that's just gut-wrenching. And something that I don't want to be true about my life. I don't want them to look at me and it be a black eye on our God. I don't want them to look at me and praise something else. I want my life to reflect God so much that when they see me, they go, there is something different about him. There is something different about you. And it has to be God. Because only God could do something in someone's life like they're doing in yours. I can't fathom anything beyond there is a God and that he is working in your life. And I want him to work in my life like I see in yours. But when they looked at Samson, they praised another. So that leaves the question, what are people's response when they see you? Do they see a great, amazing, glorious God worthy of worship in your life? Do they see you passionately pursuing what you believe about who God is? Do they recognize it? Or do they see someone that's just like every other man, just like every other woman? Because if we had put our faith in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and had the eternal life sealed by the Holy Spirit, we have been set apart for great purposes. And if you don't know what those purposes are, you can start here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love others as yourself. Make disciples. If you're like, I don't know what God wants, know those three things. Because God wants that of all believers. Love him, love others, make disciples. And we need to be about that. Here at Fellowship, we say, invite, release. Nope. Before we release, we got to equip. Invite, equip, release. For God's purpose. What do people see when they see you? Dale Ralph Davis says this, and oh my gosh, it just made me stop. Samson is a paradigm of Israel, one raised up out of nothing, richly gifted, who panders around with other loves, and yet apparently always expects to have Yahweh. I wish he had stopped, but he didn't. Whether to ancient Israel or contemporary church, Samson's tragedy still speaks. Watch out lest you abandon the divine call, leave your first love, and forfeit the divine presence. Let those words seek in and be a warning. God is long-suffering. He is patient. He desires for us to repent and follow him, to come to him for forgiveness and walk in his ways. But we better watch out. Because if we're not careful, we walk away from our divine call, we leave our first love, our Savior who laid down his life for us, and we forfeit his divine presence that empowers us to do amazing things for his kingdom. So what do we do instead? We stay true to the Lord's call in our life. We passionately and faithfully follow him. What is it this week? What is in your life right now that you are passionate about and faithful to that isn't the Lord? What have you set your heart and your mind on that is not pursuing the Lord's purposes? Well, you can address them in our next steps. 
Maybe for you, you need to faithfully pursue what the Lord has called you to this week. Maybe you've been putting it off for, for months, maybe years, maybe just a few days. You know what God wants from you, but you are delaying. You're excusing. You're dismissing. Move that up to the priority list in the prayer chain and get it done this week. It's worth it. Maybe you're not sure. Maybe you're like, I haven't done a passions check in a while, and I'm not even sure where my passions lie. Maybe you'll pray through that this week. Maybe you'll involve someone close to you again. and Just go, what do you hear me talk about? What does it seem my heart is set on? What do I get really excited about? And just let them talk. Don't be offended. You might learn something. And maybe your passions aren't aligned with God's purposes. And then you go to the Lord and say, God, I've, I've been living for less than your best. Forgive me. Give me that burning passion for you, your purposes, and your glory. And God will do it by his grace and his love and for his kingdom and his purposes. Father, that's what we want. We want to live a life purposed on you, not on our selfish interest, but God, for your glory and your kingdom, that we may love you, love others, and make disciples in this world that is hurting and spiraling down more and more, just like Israel, just like Samson. Father, may we be a light of hope in this dark world. May we be people passionate about you that see this life changed and the lives changed for your glory. God, would you move in us and throughout our country, throughout this world. Amen.